Years ago, I had my boys in, in the car, and we were driving out the back of our neighborhood in Ringgold. We lived down there off Detha Lane, and there's a man, he, he was sitting out on his porch in his trailer, and he didn't have a shirt on. He was just a massive guy, and he had a Confederate flag there blowing, which is fine. You know, that's his choice, and I, I'm not against that or for it. I'm not bringing any of that up. But my boys, we all just looked at the flag. I don't know why, but all those faces looked at the flag, and he said, it ain't coming down. And we just laughed all the way to church. It's made me laugh so much. Sherry, your picture ain't coming down. That's why we're going to keep that out there. So one day you'll like it, you know, in 20 years you'll say, you know, that picture's looking better. But uh, uh, she's a sweet lady and we appreciate that. God bless her tonight. And, and of course, Marilyn, we have some wonderful, wonderful ladies in this church, don't we? And when you're not here, I'll talk about you. Uh, but uh, thank God for our, our widows. Numbers chapter 22 is where we're going to study. We're going to look at three other verses first. We're going to go to Deuteronomy, Revelation, and 2 Peter. So you can uh, wait in Numbers 22 while I read the others. Or if you're fast, you can get to Numbers chapter 2, verse 9. Not Numbers. Deuteronomy 2.9, Numbers 22 is our main text. Deuteronomy 2.9, I'll be reading momentarily. Then I'm going to jump over to Revelation, and then we're going to go to 2 Peter, and then back the rest of the night, as the old preacher said, we'll park there a while in Numbers chapter 22. But let's read, stand with me. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 2.9. And uh, you can go ahead and stay in Numbers if you want. Deuteronomy 2.9. And the Lord said unto me, now Moses is talking, distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will give thee of the, their land for a possession, because I have given our unto the children of Lot for a possession. So God says to Moses, distress not the Moabites. The Moabites, remember, and, and we, we know they're, they're um, I've lost my train of thought, the Moabites and the and the Hold on. I'm looking for the other tribe and I've lost my place. Lot's two, let's go back. Lot's two sons by incest with his daughters, the Moabites and the Ammonites, were given a possession. And I can't find my spot here in my reading, but he says to, to Moses, don't distress the Moabites. They've been given a possession. They're half your, they're half Abraham's kin. You know, they're Lot's kid, kid kids by incest, unfortunately, but they're the Abrahams and nieces and nephews, so, or nephews. And so he said, don't distress them. Now we're going to Revelation 2.14. I'm sorry, I lost my place and my train, and sometimes my train is short and off track. But Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14, and then we'll go to, uh, one, to 2 Peter. Revelation 2.14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. So here the Lord Jesus is speaking to the church at Pergamos, and He says, I have someone against you. You've taken up the doctrine of Balaam. Then 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 and verse 16. Verse 15 says, it's talking about people who are disobedient. It says, which, which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray following the way of Balaam. It goes on to say, who love the wages of unrighteousness, 
but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. God bless us tonight. We need you every hour. We need you tonight. Marilyn needs you. Paula needs you. We need you in leading this church. We want your will, not our will. We want tonight for you to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Quite a cast of characters tonight in our story. We have Balak, the king of Moab, who Moses said, God told Moses, leave them alone. Don't fight with them. Of course, there was constant conflict between those two peoples over the centuries. But Balak was the king of Moab. And then Balaam was a, he was a prophet. We call him a diviner. But really, uh, he was pretty much a false prophet who God at times did speak to when God wanted to make a point. But we wouldn't say he was a true prophet. And then we have a burrow. We have Balak. Balaam and the burrow, and the burrow was the wisest of the three asses, <laughs> right? It seemed the burrow had more sense than these two guys had, and the burrow even spoke. So the donkey spoke. He was the one who submitted, you know, to God. And the donkey, we'll use donkey to give you a break tonight. I don't want to overstress you, so we'll use the word donkey. But the donkey here was the wisest of the three like other donkeys in Scripture. Remember Zechariah 9.9 talked about the donkey Jesus would ride prophetically. And then we find Jesus finding another donkey that's submissive. We know in the millennial kingdom donkeys will be submissive. But the donkey here submits to the king of kings. Now let me give you a, a, a quick rundown of Balak and Balaam. Balaam had wanted, wanted the prophet, I mean Balak, want, the king of Moab, wanted the prophet Balaam to curse Israel. He wanted a prophecy against Israel. But Balaam, who's normally an ungodly guy, couldn't do it because he kept getting these visions from God that God was going to bless Israel. So he's saying, I can't do that. I only foresee Israel being blessed. Well, Balak offers him money uh, uh, to curse Israel. You know, because remember, he was a prophet that did it for money. We'll find out. We'll read a verse tonight. He was all about the money. But in this case, he just couldn't do it. He said, I don't know why, but I can't do it. He didn't say, oh, I, don't, I don't know why, but he didn't know why. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't curse Israel. All he viewed was God blessing Israel. And so Balak kept pushing him and pushing him. He got angry. He wanted to see it differently. He tells him to, to keep quiet if you can't promise a curse. Quit saying God's going to bless Israel. Tell me he's going to curse Israel. And he got angry. And he takes back all the promises he was going to honor him as a prophet. He said, I take back all my promises to you. If you can't curse Israel, we're done. Wow, isn't that interesting? Isn't it something how foolish this King Balak was to think that a prophet would just prophesy to make him happy? Well, let me tell you, that was customary in those days. How many times do we find in the Bible where a true prophet was saying one thing and a false prophet was saying something else? And God would intervene, and many times the false prophet was killed for pro prophesying falsely. We thank God for true prophets. And for this brief occasion of brilliance in Balaam's life, we're thankful, but normally he was just a prophet of for money. You remember Nathan who went to David and said, Thou art the man? Boy, that guy had guts. Jeremiah and Ezekiel we talked about in recent weeks. So here is Balak the king, and then we have Balaam, who has the unbiblical office. Balak's unnecessary fear, 
he feared Israel. God had promised that at this time nothing would happen, but he didn't trust God and what God had promised. Then we have Balaam here. His, he has the wrong doctrine. We read that in Revelation 2.14. He has the wrong motive. Look at 22.7. 22.7. We're in Numbers now. I'm over in Peter. But Numbers 22.7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of what? Divination. The rewards of prophesying. He was a diviner and he did it for money. That was his reward. And the true prophet of God, his reward is pleasing God and having the peace that he's been in obedience. The false prophet does it for money. We have many people in ministry today for money. For money. And some, you know, you, it's very obvious. You know, send me more money. Um, you know, I was a missionary. I told people, my name's Dan. I get all I can. Had a friend named Jimmy. said, my name's Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. Uh, but seriously, I didn't really use that slogan, but some people are like that. It's all about money. And I've been in conferences where missionaries would stand up and talk about how poor they were, and I thought, you know, to me, if, if I'm going to support a mission, and all I hear is about the bad times, I'm thinking, is God blessing that guy? You know, my God supplies all my needs. Don't you think He supplies your needs? We can trust Him. He's trustworthy. So He had the wrong doctrine, the wrong motive. He had the wrong attitude. We're not going to share this whole story for sake of time. But He, he beat the donkey. A true prophet would have known the answer already that, God's cursing, that cursing God's people would be a mistake. And you know what He did? Balaam, He begged God to go meet Balak. He wanted God to actually change the prophecy. To go meet with Balak and speak with Balak, and God said no. God got angry about his persistence. God had spoken to him that he was going to bless Israel, and that wasn't going to change, even though he may have benefited financially if God changed the prophecy. God said no. Balaam only saw victory for Israel. So God at this time spoke to Balaam. And uh, normally he didn't, but he would come upon people sometimes temporarily and empower them or speak to them. We remember God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar one time. Remember that? Remember when God spoke to Pharaoh, to Abimelech. So God would sometimes speak to people who didn't even know him and intervene and say something to him, and he, he did that. In fact, look at verse 24.2. It says here in 24.2, and Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to all their tribes and the Spirit of God came upon him. The Spirit of God came upon him. Now, we're blessed as children of God because in the New Testament we are taught clearly that since Pentecost, since Jesus, when we get saved, the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts. God has sent the Spirit into our hearts. And He lives there forever. And that's a wonderful thing. But in the Old Testament, he would come upon people. Remember Saul. He'd come upon Saul. Saul would do something good. Then Saul would do something bad, and the spirit would depart back and forth. We find that quite often in the New Testament. So here is Balaam. God temporarily came upon him. And he, he, he spoke to him. And we know that, look at chapter 24, verse 9. Just a few verses to point out a couple other things. Chapter 24, verse 9 the last part is, blessed is he that blesseth thee, and cursed is he that cursed thee. Balak wanted Israel cursed. 
and he wanted Balaam to prophesy a curse. Balaam, for some reason, we know why God intervened, couldn't do it. But this little phrase is interesting. Do you know God promises that nations that bless Israel will be blessed and nations that curse Israel will be cursed? As long as America stands by Israel, we have a blessing. As long as the church is still here, America's blessed. While the world hates us, they don't realize how blessed they are that we're here. Because when we're gone, tribulation comes. Did you know that? And they won't stand by Israel, and then God's going to get more angry. And so thank God for Christians, for Christians. But we find here where Balaam predicts victory over Moab, and over Edom, and over the Amalekites, and over the Kenites, but he doesn't predict that Israel will go down in defeat. Now, he does predict, he does prophesy accurately that one day the Assyrians will defeat Israel, and they did. Years later, they did. But his advice to Balak was still bad. Look at chapter 25. We know by reading what we read in the New Testament that Balaam was bad because he taught Balak and he taught the enemy how to bring Israel down. And you know what that was? He taught them. We don't see this in this text, but we see a, a hint at it. He taught, he taught the Moabites and the other enemies gleaned from this that if you can get Israel to worship your idols and turn their back on their God, God will chasten them. Look at 25.1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Now we know by the New Testament it says that Balaam taught Balak that if he taught Israel to worship other gods, that's what would happen. That God would be angry with Israel, and so God was angry with Israel. And it gets us back to the truth of the fact that we have one God to worship, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we pick up in verse 21 of verse chapter 22. The Burrow's unusual behavior. We have Balak and Balaam, now the Burrow. We saw God the Father early in our text. While I didn't read those verses for sake of time, we saw God the Spirit come upon Balaam. Now we see God the Son. We pick up in verse 21. It says here, And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab, and God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary. Now who's the angel of the Lord? The definite article. Not an angel, but the angel. It's always the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, you see that two things in here that may let us know that. Number one uh, is, is the Lord, the word Lord with all capitals. So the definite article V, and then the Lord with all capitals is Yahweh. The I Am of the Old Testament. Before Abraham was, I Am, Jesus said. So we see here the Lord Jesus Christ standing in the way. And we, we see this Burroughs crazy behavior. Uh, in verse 23, the donkey goes off course. In verse 25, it smashes Balaam's foot. Um, in verse 26 and 20, verses 26 and 27, the donkey just falls down, the burrow just falls down and stops. And each time Balaam gets more angry, so angry he's beating the donkey, and finally the donkey talks in verses 28 and following. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto you? What did, what did I do to you? Can you imagine? <laughs> You're on the back of a donkey, and it looks back and says, What did I do to you? And, 
what is going on here? My foot, this dumb animal, he's beating me up. He's angry. It's like years ago. Years ago, I told you how I got home on a snowy night in Tree and Sky Mobile Home Park, and I went a little over the edge of my driveway, and I started to slide down in this valley. And I slid all the way down, and I'm saying, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? The whole neighborhood saw my car the next morning way down in the valley. I was a laughing stock. It was the Lord's fault. Wasn't the donkey's fault. The dumb donkey was not the animal. It was the man on the back of the animal. You know, it, it's like when someone drives a car, they get in a wreck. Usually the problem's a loose nut behind the wheel. Not necessarily the car. The tree didn't jump out in front of the car. And so he's angry, and this stubborn donkey, he, he, and he doesn't see the Lord. Some, sometimes we don't see the Lord. Look at verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. You, you have all this going on, several verses, and this, this is hilarious to imagine. And then finally the Lord opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the Lord. Let me stop here for just a moment and say to you, when you have divine intervention in your life, do you see the Lord? Or do you think, why is this happening to me? And you get upset and you blame somebody? You know, so much happens to us in life, we have to finally give in and say, I trust you, Lord. I can't handle this one. My management skills won't work it out. I don't know what's going on here. You know how many times I've said to myself, self, I don't know what's going on. And I've answered myself and said, oh, really? And then I answer myself, really? I don't. You, you can be the smartest guy in the city, and I'm not. But you could be and still not know what's going on. Because God sometimes does something like this. And sometimes we don't see the Lord. In verse 32, the Lord said, you're going the wrong way. Sinner's problems sometimes, verse 34, and Balaam said to the Lord, I have sinned for I knew you didn't want me going here, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, verse, the last line, I'll get back again. You know, that's great when you get to this place and say, I, I, I know I'm off track. I, I know it's me. The problem's not the donkey. It's not the car. It's not the snow. It's not the tree that jumped out in front of me. It's not the neighbor's fault or my kid's fault or the dog's fault. It can always be the dog's fault. You can always blame the dog. It's me. The problem is that the Limburger cheese, you know, I told you about the guy who had some Limburger cheese under his mustache and said it stinks in here and it stinks out there and the whole world stinks. The problem is right under his nose. It's me. And you have to say sometimes it's you. And so here he is, this donkey that outsmarted him. Now donkeys, we're going to spend just a few moments. The Romans used donkeys as a sacrificial animal. The Greeks associated them with the god of wine. According to Walter Wilson, a scholar, they're, they're the only animal directly compared to man. They're found 78 times in the Bible, 28 times in several passages. They're a herd animal, you know that, with a territorial male. Their only closeness is the mother and her foal. They can run 40 miles an hour, and that's stuff you know. 
But let's look at all the comparisons in Scripture. Number one, and I used, I told you what I used in, in Okinawa, and my teens were back there roaring, so we're going to stick with donkey. But they're unclean. They're dirty. And, you know, Leviticus 11, 2-4, says they're dirty animals. Can't eat them. They're dirty. And so that involved a lot of the things we'll talk about later. But what does Scripture teach us? That we're dirty. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Psalm 51.5, and sinned and my mother conceived me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Do you realize that we are dirty? Uh, You realize that? We're, we're, we're filthy, rotten without Jesus. Second of all, they're dumb. And the Bible says the dumb ass speaketh. I, I like Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. We're alienated from a life of God through ignorance. The Bible said lost people are alienated from the life of God through their own ignorance. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. So first of all, the donkey's a, a, a a dirty animal, and then they're a dumb animal. Animal We find they're also a slave animal in Genesis 22, verse 3. What, what did Abraham do? He piled all the wood on top of the animal. They were used to carry things, to haul things. They're a slave animal. You know what Romans 6.20 says? We were servants, meaning slaves of sin. When you were without Christ, you too were a slave. Then we find they're a burdened animal. They're burdened down. We know Exodus 23.5 calls them an animal of burden. An animal that has to carry a burden. What does Matthew 11.28 say? Come unto me all you that are laboring and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You know, without Christ, we're burdened. We're heavy laden. And life is too tough for us to cope with without the Lord. Why do you think people turn to drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. They think there's an answer there. They think they can wash away their troubles, but it doesn't work that way. I saw the other day an amazing stat that Christian people during COVID did far better than the world. The percentage of suicide is often great amongst Christians, not as great as the world, but during COVID, the world's suicide rate was way higher than ours. You know why? He's here. He never left us. I thought to myself, I'm sick of this virus. I am fed up with this virus. The only time I ever enjoyed the mask was in the winter when the wind was blowing. I was outside with that mask. Hey, it ain't bad today. It's the only time I've liked it the whole time during this thing. And there are a few people that have bad breath. I was glad they had a mask. But seriously, um, but, but, you know, we're sick of it. We're tired of it. We want to go to restaurants. I mean, we, we enjoy the good life as Americans. But the fact of the matter is, we're burdened and bogged down without Jesus. And then we know that they couldn't join with the righteous. Genesis 22.5, remember Abraham was going, and he said to the servant, he said, leave the ass behind. We're going up to meet with the Lord, and it had to be left behind because it was dirty. Under the law, it was dirty. It was dirty prior to the law. And then we know an interesting verse in Deuteronomy 22.10. You cannot, you cannot plow with an ass and an ox together. 
Gah, that's obvious pasture, they're different animals. They would pull differently, right? The ox would pull with its shoulders. The ass would pull with its legs and couldn't pull as much. And it wouldn't be as steady as the ox. And guess what else? The ox is a clean animal. And there's a type there. And what do we learn in the New Testament from that very Old Testament verse? Be not unequally yoked together. And so we learn that principle that the ass is dirty and it can't join with the righteous. 2 Corinthians 6.14, you know the verse, be not unequally yoked. Just quoted it. Then we know in 1 Kings 13.29, the ass was used to carry dead animals. We're not going to look that up for sake of time, but they would carry bodies on the backs of these donkeys. You know what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 24? Who should deliver me from this body of death? Now, I read years ago and, and, and that prisoners sometimes had to carry dead bodies on their back as punishment. But you know what Paul's really saying to us? He's not talking about carrying a, going to Lane's funeral home and picking up some dead person and carrying them around as, carrying them around as punishment so the world can see you've done something wrong. He's talking about our own bodies. Do you know your body's a body of death? Did you know that? Now, when I was a young guy and I lifted weights, I thought, man, I had a great body. Now I look in the mirror and say, Dad, is that you, Dad? No, it's me. And I look down and I see less of my feet as I get older when I look down. I have a friend that gets on a scale. He can't see the numbers or his feet. Yeah, I mean, our bodies, they're not so great after a few years. And they're looking worse all the time. This is a body of sin and death. I'll be happy to get my new tabernacle. Oh, if Jesus would rapture the church, I wouldn't want to take any of this slob with me. Leave the old jerk behind. Amen? Because you know what your body does? It causes you to sin all the time. You know why I eat too much? I haven't eaten since lunch, and I was already contemplating how I'm going to gorge myself tonight, but then I won't be able to sleep because of the acid reflex. So, you know, that's aging. If I was young, I could go out and do the buffet thing tonight. I'm hungry, but i got to find a way not to sin. But the old body would like to just two pieces of pie and then three, and you know, you really need to do seven pieces of pie. That's the number of completion. I'm joking. I had, I have all my life struggled with sweets and eating, but it's not just the eating. That's my vice, but what about the anger? That's your body. What about your thought life? It's your body. What about your impatience? There's your body. You see, you have a wonderful spirit in there and a soul that loves God. Your soul sins though, but, but boy, that body is a big problem. And so we know that they carried dead bodies, and Paul said, I wanted to be delivered from this body. Paul had the same battles we do. He got mad. Sure he did. That's one thing I love about the Bible. We see the good, the bad, and the ugly. We, we see in the lives of Bible characters the stupidity. You know, how could David be so foolish? A man after God's own heart. To not only get a woman pregnant, but to have a two-year time period before he even repented? How do you go two years without repenting from that? David, the man after God's own heart. And Moses killing the Egyptian and hiding the body? 
Talk about a temper. The Egyptian had it coming, but Moses wasn't doing the right thing. He was sinning. So we know of this continual problem. Then we know that the donkey will be buried outside the city. If you go to Jeremiah 22, 19, it'll say this. He should be buried beyond the gates of the city. They weren't allowed to bury a donkey inside the city. They had to be brought outside. Well, you know what Revelation 21, 27 says? There shall in no wise anything enter the city of God, the holy city that defiled it. When we have the new Jerusalem, nothing will be allowed in. Certainly not a donkey because it defiles. Then we could say the donkey's lost. We find where Saul's uh, donkeys were lost. And we know that means literally lost, but we could make an application that man without Christ is lost. Romans 6.23 You know, for the wages of sin is death. Then we could say, and we're going to turn to this one, Exodus 13.13 Turn with me. This is interesting. This is our last verse. Exodus 13.13 We'll have a couple more points to make and I'll let you go. We're just a minute or two late. Exodus chapter 13, verse 13. Now in our series to come, we will talk more specifically about creatures. I have one on the flea. It's an amazing creature. We'll learn more details about the creatures than we have our first two parts, the donkey and the fish. And we'll talk about the turkey vulture and things. You'll be amazed at some of the creatures God made. And so we have some interesting things to look forward to. This is not real deep, but it's practical. Now here in Exodus 13, 13, the, the donkey, must, the ass must be redeemed or die. Think about that application. 13, 13. In every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. Think of that. What an application. <laughs> Did you know if you're not redeemed, you're going to be dead eternally? The wages of sin is death. And what did they do? They had to redeem it with a lamb. Seems like kind of an odd thing to us. In fact, when you read the law, so much of it seems strange to us. But you know what God does with the law? He uses hyperboles to, to stress a point. I, I couldn't wear this suit, uh, you know, under the law because it's a mixture of materials that would violate the law. What would be wrong with that, Pastor? Why would it be wrong for a farmer to sow two seeds on his farm? Oats on one side and corn on the other. Why would that be wrong? Because God wanted to stress the importance of separation. So use these hyperboles, these exaggerated things to teach his people. And we look back to the law and we still preach the law because it taught us principles. We're not under it, thank God. And I don't tell you not to wear mixed materials. And I don't tell you to stay at home on Saturday and not turn on any electricity. I don't tell you that stuff because we're not under that. But there were reasons for that. They were all, it was all about teaching us certain principles. And so here, the principle of redemption. Either you're redeemed or you die. And we're just like the donkey, aren't we? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, you know the verse, we're redeemed with incorruptible blood. We can't be redeemed with anything else other than the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ. Not with the blood of any other lamb, but the lamb. 
We can't be redeemed with silver or gold, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't been redeemed with His blood, you're lost. Just like the donkey would be killed, you might as well consider your neck to be broken. Do you know what the Bible says? Before you were saved, you were already dead in your trespasses and sins. Sin is a death sentence without Jesus. And then finally, one day we know the donkey will be controlled by the Master. Like the one in Zechariah 9.9 was controlled prophetically and fulfilled in the New Testament when Jesus came and that unbroken animal submitted to Him. You know what will happen in the Millennial Kingdom? The lion will lay down with the lamb. If there are donkeys then, they'll be submissive. Years ago, a little kid said, do all dogs go to heaven? <laughs> I thought, this is a tough one. I said, you know, there's going to be a millennial kingdom where there'll be animals, and then I changed the subject. But I joke with people, maybe when we get to the millennium, all the pets we ever liked will be there. I don't know. We can imagine, but we don't know. But we do know there will be animals there, right? And they'll all be submissive. The Lord created the heaven and the earth, and he gave Adam and Eve dominion. When they sinned, the wages of that was extreme. We don't really realize everything that happened. But all of a sudden, that little kitty cat called the lion was no longer purring at the feet of Adam and Eve. No, it was killing their livestock. They lost dominion. Jesus Christ regain dominion and one day will sit on the throne and every animal and every creature will submit to Him. The lion, the Bible says, will lay down with the lamb and we know even that poor old donkey will no longer be a slave animal. It'll be submissive to God because God is in control. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word tonight. Lord, thank You for the burrow which was the wisest of these three, and that Balaam realized he was wrong. Lord, so many times we're just like the donkey. We're just as stubborn and dirty and foul as they are. And Lord, help us to realize that without you, we're filthy. Without your redemption, we're doomed to eternal death. And Lord, I believe most of our people here tonight profess Jesus Christ as Savior, but we pray, Lord, that we'll realize the importance of telling others the importance of redemption. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.